Okay, welcome back, everyone. While we're regathering here, you can go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to the book of Philippians this morning, chapter 3. While you are turning there, I just want to say thank you to, uh, to Mac and Kathy and, and everyone who helped uh, take care of worship. I was supposed to be gone today, of course, and then uh, Friday night, and it's such a blessing to have people step in and help out and, and take over, and so we're grateful for that. Also, just to let you know, um, I got a call from JR. Uh, and Amanda, a couple days ago, um, she's contracted COVID. And so, uh, of course, these things tend to spread throughout the house. So I want to hold them in prayer. Uh, if there's anyone else, you know, please let me know um, so we can be praying for them. So uh, we'll lift them up in prayer as well. Before we get into this morning, of course, no, right, right now we are studying through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 26. Um, but I like to take the last Sunday of the year to just sort of teach and preach what's on my heart with respect to, you know, looking back to where we've been, you know, this year, thinking about where we're going in the new year. And uh, I always like to, I keep records, so I have in front of me here kind of like everything I've done in the last number of years on, you know, um, either New Year's Eve or last Sunday kind of a thing, or first Sunday, depending on when I do it. And it's always helpful to look back at these things. In fact, um, about maybe a couple of months ago, I was on our website, because I go on there every now and then just to check and see is, you know, how's everything going uh, with our website and, you know, what, what are we presenting to the world? And as I was there, I uh, was clicking on the message page and just kind of looking through that, and I noticed the message that I gave on the last Sunday of the year in 2019. Now, remember that was, we, we were just hearing about COVID at that point in time. Um, and that intrigued me and I saw the title of the message and of course I remembered it because I gave it and I started thinking about it. So I actually went and listened to it, which is something I almost never do. I, I almost like never listen to myself because I hate that. Um, and if you did it, if you spoke and you listened to yourself, you'd probably hate it too. So anyways, I, uh, I was intrigued, so I listened to it. And what blew me away is now where we are in time, thinking about where we were then. It was a Holy Spirit prophetic message. And so I would like to encourage you, um, you know, shameless self-promotion here. Um, go back to that message. It's the last Sunday of the year in 2019. Um, I think it was entitled something like, well, let me see, I've got it here. Are you prepared for what's next? <laughs> and uh, it was actually out of Job 1 and 2. So let me encourage you, there into the archive messages. Just go back and, and listen to that. Um, and I was amazed as I listened at what the Lord spoke to us as a church. So uh, I like to take this Sunday to kind of... Uh, just think about where are we, what, what are we going through? What, what am I seeing out there in, in Christendom? Uh, what do I hear from the Christians that I know, not just us here in this church, but, you know, everywhere? And uh, there were some things that were on my heart, so I'd like to take us to the book of Philippians this morning. So Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> let's begin reading verses 7 through 14. I believe that'll be up here for you. And so uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen if you don't happen to have a Bible with you. There are some Bibles on the table by the back pole there if you need a Bible. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, and of course we're sort of picking it up in the middle of a thought here. Paul, the apostle writing, says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, 
being conformed to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, may you add your blessing to the reading of your word this morning. May your spirit take the sword that he has authored, and may you use it in our lives. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. Bless us in all that we're doing here today. Bless our worship. Bless our attentiveness to your word. Bless our giving. Uh, Lord, we've turned our attention to you, and we are listening as we think about the last few days of this year and entering a new year, what might you have for us as we round that corner? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about this, the thing that was striking me is, uh, if you've already probably gotten a sense of it from the words, from the tone that Paul has written here, is that we live in a time of great distraction where we are being pulled in different directions and we are being distracted by everything conceivable out there. In fact, I was going to quote this a little bit later, but I'll quote it now. I read a study recently, and you probably read these things all the time as as I do, uh, that a recent study showed that the average person spends about three hours a day on their mobile device, three hours, and the average touch is uh, 2,500 touches per day on your phone. That You may say, whoa, wait a minute. No, touches, like, you know, when you're sitting there and you're swiping, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, it probably adds up pretty quickly. And keep in mind that's average, 2,500. 2,500 touches in three hours a day, that's just with your mobile device. Think about this as a portal that is bringing all sorts of things into our lives. Think about we have instantaneous access to anything we want. You have a question, just speak it or Google it, right? You can have an answer in 0.87 milliseconds. So we have these distractions. We have the news. We have what's going on in the world. Uh, We have everything going on around us. And in a sense, that's always been the case but also, in a sense, we're at a time that's unprecedented in that we have all of these things available to us at any moment. Uh, a few weeks ago, our, I mean, our doorbell's been broken for a long time, and so I finally broke down, and I went and I bought one of those ring doorbells. Well, now my phone rings me about 20 times a day because it sees every time the UPS truck goes around my circle and the Amazon truck and the FedEx truck and every time somebody goes in and out, there's ding, 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 all day, all day, all day long. And all of these things take our attention, they take our focus away from what? Away from the Lord. So Paul, writing here, we're picking it up in the middle of a thought. He says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Interestingly, the word gain here is in the plural in the Greek, and you could read it gains. And the word loss, and this is both in verse 7 and 8, is in the singular. So think about what he's saying here. What things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. So Paul had just been reading and celebrating sort of his, his pedigree a little bit earlier about all of the things he'd accomplished in his life before coming to know Christ. And he had many accomplishments. And if we were putting Paul in sort of our modern society, he had degrees, he had accomplishments, he had a master's, he had a PhD. Uh, he was successful in life. He was recognized in his community. He was near the top of his game. And yet, when he came into contact with Jesus Christ, something changed in his life. His world flipped upside down, and the things that were gained to him were now 
counted as loss, he says, for Christ. And he says in verse 8, yet indeed I also count all things loss, all things, everything in his life, the sum total of everything, loss, singular, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So he's saying everything that I thought was, was good, everything that I had accomplished in my life, that I placed value upon, I realize that's all garbage, it's all rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. My gain is Jesus Christ. My loss is everything else. So you see, it's a different mindset, isn't it? He's saying that his world changed. It was turned upside down that day on the road to Damascus. When he encountered Christ in that that hot blazing sun as it was was shining down on him, when the voice of Jesus spoke to him from heaven, when we go back and reread what happened there in Acts chapter 9, Paul knew instantly who was speaking to him, didn't he? Who are you, Lord? He knew it was Jesus. And Jesus says, it's me, Jesus. It's hard for you when you kick against the goads. I don't like it, what you're doing to my people. And so Jesus had a word for him, and his life was turned upside down. He was struck with blindness. He was taken into the city of Damascus. God had him sit in blindness and complete darkness for three days while he just sort of let him think about what happened. And let him slowly now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to connect the dots about all the things that he thought he knew about God, but he realized he didn't. And it was all upside down. It was all changed. It was all different. And he began to understand as he sat there in that darkness that his life was being examined by the Holy Spirit. Someone said these words, the unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates said this, yet few people sit down to weigh seriously the values that control their decisions and their directions. Let me say this again. Few people sit down to weigh seriously the values that control their decisions and their directions. Many people today are slaves of, quote, things, and as a result, they do not experience the true joy of being in Christ. Paul said earlier in chapter 1 of in verse 21 of Philippians, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You see, it wasn't bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion and his status in order to find salvation in Christ. His value system was turned upside down, and you know what happens in our lives, and it happens in my life, and you know, whenever I speak from up here, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. We get distracted so easily. We drift. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about that issue of drifting in our lives. And so we need to take time, especially as we come to the, the turning of the year, take the time to do a little assessment. Hey, what's, not just so much what's happened to me in this past year, but how have I handled what's happened to me in this past year? Where am I in my walk with Christ? Am I growing? Are things, am I, am I growing more toward Christ? Am I being more conformed to his image? Do I have this kind of value system that he speaks of in verse 8? Verse eight yes, yet I indeed also count all things lost for the excellence of Christ. Have I come to the place that I value Jesus? I value my relationship with Jesus more than the stuff that's in my life. And he says, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that idea of excellence is it stands out, it rises above, it's superior in rank to everything else. And he says, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He sees things differently. And it's good for us to stop. It's appropriate for us to stop, to slow down and to say, let's do a little inventory. Let's do a little evaluation. Have my values drifted? Has my thinking about God drifted? 
And so this morning, let me just say something to you. If you know Christ, praise God for that. His Spirit is within you. And you have that prompting from the Spirit as we read these words this morning from Holy Scripture that God is speaking to us because if I have His Spirit in me and His Spirit authored the Word of God and we're reading the Word of God, then by virtue of definition, He is speaking to you. He's speaking to me. But if you don't know Him, there's a void in your life that your, your, your ears, your heart are dead to the sound of His voice. And so let me encourage you this morning just to take a moment right now and to stop and to pray and to say, Lord, I want to hear what you have for me. And just invite him into your life and ask him to forgive you of your sins, even in this moment, that you might gain full access to all that he has for you. So he says, my value system is the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul's world was turned upside down. Everything he valued was wiped away. It was, it was flipped 180 degrees. And he says, I want to be found, verse 9, in him, not having my own righteousness. Now listen, when we come to Christ, we come to Christ solely on the merit of the grace of God. Not on the basis of anything that I've done. You know, as human beings, we are in such a destitute state there is nothing you and I can do to reach God. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, one of the hallmark verses of our faith says that, uh, you know, by grace you are saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, that faith, it's a gift of God. It's not of yourselves, lest you should boast. And so he's saying here, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. You see, when we come to Christ, he gives us his righteousness. Our life is turned upside down. So many people today, I still talk, I talk to people and I still hear this all the time and it doesn't matter what religion or denomination or background they're from. There is this innate built in, I have to do something to please God. I have to do something to reach God. I have to do something to appease God. And listen, you cannot. The only thing that God values is the blood of Jesus Christ. And unless you are in Christ, unless you are found in him, not having your own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, unless you have that righteousness, you see, it doesn't matter. And so we want to be found in him. We are told in Romans chapter 4, that great chapter of faith, speaking of Abraham, it says, for what does the scripture say that Abraham believed God and it was accounted or reckoned to him for righteousness? You see, it's by faith in God, by believing in God, by accepting the things that he said. And in verse 10, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that, here's the reason, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, when Paul says he wants to know him, he's not asking for knowledge about God. You and I have lots of knowledge about things, don't we? Lots of, knowledge, lots of useless knowledge, right? I remember the license plate of my last car in North Carolina 40 years ago. I don't know why. It's a useless piece of knowledge. It has no bearing on my life. But knowing him, you see, that's an experiential knowledge. That's a knowledge that comes from being in his presence. That's a knowledge that comes from being in his house, worshiping with his people, sitting under the teaching of his word, reading the Bible on your own, even if you don't understand it. Keep reading, it will come. That I may know him. Paul had this new desire to know Jesus, something he did not have before. The zeal he had before as a Pharisee was to know the law so that he could quote it and hold others accountable. Have you ever met people in the church who want to hold other people accountable? They're modern day Pharisees. But Paul said, I want to know him. 
And I don't want to just know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Why? Because becoming a Christian, coming to faith in Christ, it's a resurrection process. You see, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And if we say we've come to Christ, if we say, however we say it, he's come into my life, I express my faith in him, however you want to say it, you have been resurrected, spiritually speaking, from the dead. And there is a physical resurrection that is one day coming for you and me that will validate the spiritual resurrection in our lives. He says, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to have a relationship with him. Isn't that what happens when we pursue human relationships, especially in marriage? We want to be with somebody. We want to know them and we want them to know us. You see, God built us to be relational people. And so Paul said, I want to know him, but I want to know the power of his resurrection. That word power, that's that word dunamis. It's used all throughout the New Testament. It's used on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon people. And when, in Acts chapter 1-8, when Jesus said, you know, you will, you will receive power and it will come upon you and you will become my witnesses, is that same word. The power of his resurrection, the dunamis, the dynamic life of God, the power of his resurrection. You see, the very power that resurrected Jesus from the grave is the power that you and I have by virtue of the Lord's presence in my life and in your life. And he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is a verse that often is not highlighted, not underlined in our Bibles, or the last part being conformed to his death. Because you see, we must take up our cross daily and follow him. We are called to a life that's called a crucified life. You see, there's this struggle that happens in our lives moment by moment, day by day. It's called the, the old man and the new man, the flesh and the spirit. Some have likened, in an attempt to explain this to to two dogs, a black dog and a white dog, and they say, well, which dog wins? And the answer is the dog that you feed the most. So do we feed the flesh or do we feed the spirit? The fellowship of his sufferings. You see, when we come to know Jesus Christ, we come to know him in his entirety. There are people out there today called prosperity doctrine teachers who want you to to believe that God wants you to have health, wealth, and prosperity and everything. And if, so, if you're suffering, if something goes wrong in your life, then you may have said something negative that the devil has heard. And he is now causing you to pay for it because you expressed a negative thought. And thus they lead into this crazy things called positive confession. Only say positive things. You must be positive. The glass is always half full. And you must speak only positive things. Well, that's not real, is it? But the resurrection life of Jesus in my life and yours is, are we going to encounter difficulties? Yes. Are you going to be turned away at the passport counter? Yeah, it's going to happen. Are you going to have a flat tire? Yes. Will there be an accident and your car will get totaled? Yeah. Do these things happen? Yes. Are there disappointments in life? Yes. Do I have difficulties at work all the time? Rarely do things go the way I want them to go. But the, to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, when we think about that from the point of view of what Jesus has done for us, is there anything that I can ever experience on this earth that would compare to what he did for me? The extent of his suffering. You see, the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death while it may be unpleasant, and as long as we're on this side of heaven, by the way, we will experience this. You can experience this as a child of God with the, the life of Jesus and uh, the power of God in your life, or you can experience it apart from Jesus, apart from being a child of God, because you see, we are going to experience these difficulties anyway. But if you're not a child of God, they're just difficulties, and life stinks. But if you are a child of God, you are experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings and you're being conformed to his death. And what's happening is these things are being stripped from our lives that don't matter. And I think these little tests that God allows us to have in our lives and experience over and over and over in the various forms that they come 
are simply there to let us know, I'm not done yet. You're not in heaven yet. On this side of, of heaven, you will have difficulty. You will encounter trials. In fact, the word for tribulation, phlipsis in the uh, New Testament, often speaks of the idea of a beam that has spikes in it and it's being pulled behind something and it's just rolling over it and breaking it apart, sort of like the heads of grain. And it's just, you know, thlipsis, tribulation. There's, there's a spiked beam being drug over your head. Why? For the purpose of removing the chaff from your life and from my life. Why? That I might learn to trust him. And that's what this is all about. When Paul talks about knowing him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. And then he finishes it by saying, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, meaning looking forward to that day when I will be resurrected with Jesus. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8. People often miss it. He says, your, your redeemed mortality and your unredeemed body. There's this crazy thing going on here, but the day will come when God will redeem your flesh. And that will happen on the day that we've died and gone into the grave, and then he will resurrect us. And we, 1 Corinthians 15 tells you all about this. We don't have time to go through that this morning. But being conformed to his death. Now, talking about this idea of singularity of focus, purpose, vision, being distracted. Who are you keeping company with? Who are you hanging around with? What are you listening to? What are you watching? Listen to this. Instead of, uh, of those things, look around for those people whose constant confidence is Jesus Christ, whose constant boast is Jesus Christ, whose constant delight is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the center of their worship. Those are the people you want to hang around with. The center of their gratitude, the center of their love, the center of their hope. Emulate those whose constant confidence and boast is in Christ Jesus and in nothing else. So d does God want me to minister to people who don't know him? Of course. Yeah, we need to hang out with them too. But when we surround ourselves with people who constantly drag us down, who are negative, who are uh, people who are maybe profess the name of Christ, but if there's anything but the mark of Christ in their lives, we need to be aware of that in our lives. One author wrote this, Paul knows nothing of the rather gloomy stoicism that is so often ex exhibited in historic Christianity, where the lot of the believer is basically that of slugging it out in the trenches with little or no sense of Christ's presence or power. On the contrary, the power of Christ's resurrection was the greater reality for him. So certain was Paul that it had happened. After all, he had been accosted and claimed by the risen Lord on the Damascus road, that Christ's resurrection guaranteed his own resurrection, that he could throw himself into the present with a kind of holy abandon full of rejoicing and thanksgiving. In other words, what he's saying here to break that all down is this. It's sort of an anomaly to, to, to say that I'm a believer, but that there's no joy in my life. To say that I'm a believer, but that there's no mark of Jesus on my life. And so before we continue this morning, I just want to pause and pray. And I ask you if you would be willing to pray with me. To, to pray what Paul said here. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. So Lord, we stop right now in this moment and we ask you in accordance with what we're reading here, Lord, because we need it, that you would give me, that you would give us that knowledge, that sense of understanding of the power of your resurrection within our mortal flesh, that we might be changed and transformed continually into the image of Christ. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. He goes on and he says in verse 12, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Yeah, I've not reached it yet. I won't reach it this side of heaven, but I press on. Why? That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
I love this, this verse. In fact, you can sit and meditate on this verse for a long time and never, I think, plumb the depths of it. He says, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Listen, if you've been in Christ any period of time in your life, hopefully you can look back and see a time when you were less mature in Christ than you are today. Hopefully you can look back and over the course of time, not just this year, you can see in your life where God has done a work in your life. And he says here, I press on. That's the, the, the due course of time. We keep moving on. We keep moving forward that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now, Paul was told specifically when Ananias came to him to lay his hands on him, he said, the Lord has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you're going to give testimony before kings and princes, and you're going to suffer much for his name. He was given a prophetic purpose to his life. Often you and I don't have that word. Maybe you do. Praise God if you do. But here's what the Word of God tells us about the purpose for our lives in a general sense, for every believer. To know Him, to make Him known, and that we would become, He says this in so many ways in the New Testament, that we would become the fragrance of Christ wherever we go. It was interesting. I got in the car after this whole passport incident, and my, my mother-in-law, they may be watching this morning, had said these words to me. She said, you know, I'm just amazed that you're not upset and throwing the suitcases around and, you know, doing all these things. And, and I knew in that moment I couldn't say, well, yeah, I just exercise great restraint and self-control. I knew I couldn't say that because that's not how I felt. But why was I able to do that? It's because of Christ in me. I know that. I knew that. I wanted to chew out the lady who gave me the bad news, but you, you know, that would have been shooting the messenger, right? She was like, look, it's not my policy, not my rules. I'm sorry. I know it's disappointing. You're here. Your bags are packed. All the grandkids' presents are in there. They're all waiting to see you on this other side, and you just can't get there. Maybe, maybe Tuesday you can fly and see them on Wednesday. Who knows? We'll leave that in God's hands. But for what purpose has Christ Jesus laid hold of me? Whatever that is, even if I don't fully know it, even if I don't fully understand it, I want to lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of me. You see, I want to know him to that depth that whatever his purpose is or purposes are for me, for my life, and for you, that we want to grasp that, we want to attain that. Lord, I want to know. I go back to that verse I shared a few weeks ago, and I think it's in 1 Samuel, where uh, Samuel and Eli were dealing with each other. He was a little boy, and he was having those dreams where the Lord was speaking to him, and finally uh, Eli realized it was the Lord, and he says, when, the next time you hear that voice speaking to you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What is the purpose for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me? Even if I don't know the specifics, I want to know it. I want to, to lay hold of him that his purposes might be realized in my life. You see, this side of heaven, we're not perfect. There will be no perfection. There will be progress, but there will not be perfection. But I press on. I keep moving forward with intensity and purpose and fervor. Why? To know him. To know him. If you are a Christian this morning, you need to be reminded that Jesus has laid hold of you. You see, we like to have these things, these theological debates, right? Well, was it me? Was it my free will that saved me? Or was it God's sovereign power that reached down and saved me? Yes, it's both. There's all those verses that say, whosoever will may come. But there's also those verses that say, God in his sovereignty wrote your name down in the book of life before the foundation of the earth. Listen, I, don't, I can't figure all that stuff out. I'm just grateful that I read it, and I know what's speaking to me. Praise God for that. I'm not going to write some theological dissertation that says everybody else is wrong, and I'm right, and vice versa. I'm on this side. I'm on that side. Look, you can't dissect the Bible like that any more than you can separate the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ from his human being. If you were a Christian, you need to know, you need to be reminded, Jesus has laid hold of you. I'm not worthy. I don't know why he did it. 
I praise God that he did. I praise God that my name is written in, in his book. And you should too. But what is the purpose for which he has laid hold of you? I want to know. And I hope that you want to know as well. Verse 13, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I can think of no better verses really to sort of end one year and begin another than with these verses. One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. You see, for Paul, those things which were behind, for him, those were all those accomplishments. They were, those were all those things that he had placed value upon that he now realized in the light of the glory of God's grace meant nothing. They were just human accomplishments. Now, God can take our human accomplishments and use them for his glory, can he not? Absolutely. But we have to be submitted to him. Those things have to be laid at the foot of the cross. And God did use those things. He used Paul's uh, great knowledge of the word of God. He used Paul's zeal that he had in a wrong direction, but God converted it and moved it in the other direction. God can take those things and use them for his glory. But he says, I forget those things which are behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was not confused about the fact that God had laid hold of him. And God has laid hold of you this morning. If you know him, if you are his child, his son or his daughter, God has laid hold of you. Don't miss that. Listen, you can't run from it. When I was in high school, I had gotten saved when I was oh, somewhere between 8 and 10. And, and, and it was interesting the way God did this. You know, my mom, who was the church organist and pianist, and my dad was the lead deacon in the church and all that stuff, right? My, my mom had taken me in to see the pastor, a gentleman, and we sat down in this office and we had this discussion. He shared the gospel with me and I said, yes, I believe. And he said, so I want you, this coming Sunday, I want you to, you know, walk down the aisle when I give the altar call and do all that. And I did that. And, you know, I look back on that and I think that was nothing like what Paul experienced. But I know that that was when God saved me. I know it. I, I've examined it. I've thought, well, maybe it was here, maybe it was there. I, I don't know. But then so I was eight or 10 years old, and I never really had any discipleship in my life. No one ever really spent time with me in the Word of God and brought me along in the faith. I, 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 maybe that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what I do now is because that wasn't there, and I want to make sure that's there as much as possible for people today in their lives. But, but for the next number of years, till I was 18 or 19, I walked away from the Lord. I just, I let everything else come into my life, drugs, sex, alcohol, all that stuff, it, music, it just, it controlled my life. But I know this beyond the shadow of a doubt, because I can remember these experiences of being out and partying with my high school friends, getting sick, going over in the bushes, puking my guts out, and in the moment, being on my hands and knees, throwing up in the middle of the night on somebody's front lawn, Hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in my head saying, is this really what you want to be doing? Is this really the path for your life? I mean, I can remember clear as day being on the front lawn of my friend Kim's uh, front lawn at midnight or 1 a.m. doing this. And I remember hearing that voice. And the Lord will speak to you. Forgetting those things which are behind. I don't look back on those things and relish those days. And listen, things can happen in our lives. I don't want to minimize the fact that we have tra traumatic things that happen in our lives. Kids are abused by their parents. They see things they shouldn't see. They experience things they shouldn't experience. Parents abandon kids. I mean, there are just horrendous things that we can't even mention that are just so terrible. And if you've experienced some of those things this morning, then we pray for the healing of the love of God and the Holy Spirit to come into your life. But so often, and we know this is true, people 
get stuck for years in therapy trying to figure out what happened to them when they were 10 or 11 or 12 or 13, and they can't move beyond it. There's this thing in the field of psychology that says your emotional age is stunted, your growth is stunted to when the trauma entered your life. I know there's a lot of truth to that. However, within the realm of what God's Word has to say to you and me, and again, I'm not minimizing your pain or what you've experienced, But the solution is to forget those things which are behind. Listen, I had things that happened in my life. Not so much by my parents, but by my friends and and all sorts of other things. But forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. What's in the past is in the past. You and I cannot change anything that's happened in the past. But we want to reach forward to those things which are ahead. And for us and Christ, it's all this stuff here. It's the glorious promises of God's Word. It's the fact that your name is written in the book of life. It's the fact that you will one day be with Him in heaven. It's the fact that no matter what happens to you and me here on this earth, God is victor. He is on the throne. He is sovereign. He is supreme. And this stuff doesn't matter. If our government goes completely wacky and we end up in a communist state or a Nazi-like state, and it could happen... God is in control, and He's allowing these things to happen for a purpose. And I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying we should just sit back and let evil overtake us. We should be praying in the Spirit and doing the right things and standing up for truth and righteousness, all of those things. But we can't let these things take our distraction, distract us or take our focus away from what He says, the one thing I do. I forget those things that are behind. I reach forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal. Now, there's a number of places in Scripture, and we read one of them this morning, that talks about this issue of focus. One thing is the phrase. Psalm 27, 4, we read it. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now, does that mean that you and I live at church? No. Because the temple of the Lord, God God has come to make his tabernacle among his people. We've just talked about it and celebrated it here at Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek to dwell in the house of the Lord, to meditate on the things of God. You remember when Jesus was dealing with the rich young ruler. He pointed out the thing in his life that he was tripped up by, which is attachment to, to material things, his attachment to his riches. And he says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. And he couldn't do that one thing. Jesus always calls us to one thing. Luke chapter 10, a familiar passage, Martha and Mary, you remember this. Jesus had come to their house, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So as Jesus came into the house, it was customary, of course, to take care of your guests, to serve them. Mary sat down at the feet of Jesus and listened to his word. Martha, it says in verse 40 of Luke 10, was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Don't allow yourself to be distracted from the one thing that is most important. That is to do what Mary did, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And as Paul said, this singularity of focus, one thing, forgetting those things which are behind. Don't let those things drag you down. We'll talk about that more in a minute and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal purpose, vision, not giving up, not allowing the things that are happening to distract us. Forgetting means to be no longer influenced or affected by. Forgetting means to no longer be influenced or affected by. You see, with God, it means that He will no longer hold our sins against us. Our sins and our lawless deeds, He has forgiven, He has forgotten. These things can no longer affect us from God's point of view because they are under the blood of Christ. We break the power of the past by living in the present for the future. 
We break the power of the past by living in the present for the future. We can't change the past, but we can change how we see the past. Remember the story of Joseph. Remember all those things that happened in his life over the course of 20 plus years, how his brothers were jealous and they were going to kill him. And then God intervened and they decided to sell him into slavery. And over the course of that 20 years, we studied this uh, a year and a half, two years ago when we went through the book of Genesis together. And we come to that amazing verse in Genesis chapter 50 when he finally reveals who he is to his brothers. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. You see, God had a different path for Joseph, but the only way he could get him on that path was taking him down and around and through the worst possible circumstances in life. Think about the number of times he was in jail or in prison for something he didn't do. And yet God had a purpose for him And he took him on a path that he never would have chosen for himself. And so God does for you and me. We can't be distracted. We can't look back. You may remember the story, if you've never heard it, it goes back into the 50s, 1957, 54, excuse me. The story of Roger Bannister and John Landy, two sprinters. And they were running in this epic race And they were in the final lap, and Landy began running even faster, and Bannister was behind him and was having trouble catching up with him. He was trying to save a kick for the final lap. And uh, they, as they, in those days, as they ran the race, I'm not sure if they do this today, when you come to the final lap, they ring the bell to let you know you're in the final lap because, because of your focus and concentration. Sometimes you just kind of forget, where am I in this race? And so the bell rings. And as they rang the bell, everybody came to their feet and began to cheer. And Landy could no longer hear the footsteps of Bannister behind him. So they were in that final lap when people sprint. And as he was running, he looked back. And in that moment, in his looking back, he slowed himself down just enough that Bannister kicked in and sprinted past him and finished the race a full five yards ahead of him, even though Landy was the faster guy. And it was that looking back, it was that momentary distraction that cost him the race. Looking back, being stuck in the past can cost you your race. In Genesis 19, we see the story of Lot's wife. And in the Gospels, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus speaks of Lot's wife as he's speaking in that passage in Luke 17 about the last days, about the end times. And in there, as he's speaking about the last days and the end times and and that we should be focused and we should be aware and we should be looking for the things that are coming, Jesus ends that section in verse 26 by saying, remember Lot's wife. And Jesus just left it there and walked away. And what was the point? The point was she looked back. If you go to the story in Genesis 19, God had sent angels in to rescue Lot and his family from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah because God was going to rain down judgment upon them. And he told them specifically up front, do not look back when I'm delivering you, you run for the hills, you get out of there. Don't look back. And what happened is they were leaving and as God began to rain down the judgment, her curiosity got the best of her or whatever it was and it caused her to turn and look back. And in that moment, we know that she turned to a pillar of salt because of her disobedience, because of looking back. We can't be distracted by what is behind us. We have to move forward. What are those things which are ahead for you and me? What's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Well, for one, Romans chapter 8, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's one thing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he speaks of obtaining the glory of our Lord. That's another thing. There's so many places the book of Hebrews talks about the hope that's before us. Peter talks about the hope that is before us. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, we are to be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved. Similar to that situation with Sodom and Gomorrah, We are to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. Uh, God's judgment will come. And he says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward, same idea as pressing forward, 
looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace without spot and without blemish. Look forward. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire, but I would recommend that it's a great family movie, and maybe it's a movie you should watch in this holiday downtime with your family. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies. And one of the things that the trainers were teaching the runners, and of course they teach this today even in their coaching, is that as you're nearing the finish line, that you're supposed to throw your arms back and to thrust your head and your chest out and to reach forward. And often it's photo finishes like that where someone finishes a split second. Whoever touches that wire first wins. And understand that for you and me, it's about finishing the race. It's about finishing well. But there's that, that passion, that intensity, that focus that we are to finish well, that we are to press forward. We are to give every effort. We are to hold nothing back in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. I press toward the goal. I don't allow anything to deter me from my goal of pursuing my relationship with Jesus Christ. What does it take to deter you? What does it take to slow you down in your walk with Christ? Kent Hughes, whom whom I love, he said this. He's a commentator, a pastor. He said, brothers and sisters, if you have been seized by Christ and are in the grip of his grace, you must press on in your own hot, grasping pursuit of an ever deeper knowledge of him. The gospel allows no room for a bland, middle-class ethic that strives to be neither hot nor cold, a la Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea. We are called every mother, every daughter, every father, every son, to a single-minded, determined pursuit of Jesus Christ. Keep your finger here, and in our closing, we will go over to Hebrews chapter 12, if you'll turn over there for a moment as we wrap up this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 reads, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." I want to focus on that second verse there, looking unto Jesus. The definition of that phrase or that, that word, looking unto, means to turn your eyes away from other things and fix them on that one important thing. Another commentator or Greek scholar said, to look steadfastly or intently toward a distant object, to behold in the mind, to fix the mind upon The the exhortation here is to do what? To look unto Jesus. The New American Standard says to fix your eyes on Jesus. So he may be that blip on the horizon, but we are to fix our eyes on him. You see, we don't know how long we have, do we? We don't know how long we're going to be on this earth. We don't know how long our walk is. We don't know the number of our days. You know, Psalm 90 says that, Lord, teach me to number my days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. We are encouraged here in Hebrews 12, too, to do the same thing that Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3, to look unto Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to press toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus is to be our focus. Jesus is our motivation. We are to look unto Jesus, not to politics or political leaders, not to doctors, you know, the world does not have a solution for what we're facing, whether it's a virus, whether it's crime, whether it's balancing the budget, the world does not have a solution. Only Jesus has a solution. And if we want to see stuff get fixed, then we need to pray that the gospel would go forward and that there would be a, 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 a revolution in Congress, that our leaders would get saved. That's the only thing that's going to change anything. It's not because we vote in whoever we believe our political party is and whoever's got the solutions. 
Jesus has the solutions. The solution is always a spiritual solution. It's never political. It's always a godly issue. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the originator, the captain, the prince. He's the one leading the charge. You see, we are to be following him. The problem is too often we begin following ourselves on our own path and our own wisdom and our own understanding, which at best are marred and skewed and clouded. We are to follow Jesus. Look unto him, the author and the finisher of our faith. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, speaking of Jesus, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. I want to turn over here. I just remembered something in Romans 11 I want to come back to in just a moment. So how did he run his race? If he's our author, if he's our example, it says for the joy that was set before him. We've been talking about this. We're in the middle of the garden passage here. We'll be finishing chapter 26 of Matthew next week. But Jesus had that idea. He knew that the joy was set before him, even though he knew as he went through the garden and he prayed and as he sweat those great drops of blood with intensity, knowing what was coming to him. He had the joy of the cross set before him. And that is the joy that is set before us, not that we're going to the cross, but that because of the cross, we can be on the other side of the judgment of God. You see, we just talked about this a few weeks ago as well when we talked about the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we are not appointed unto wrath. Jesus had the joy of finishing the work the Father had given him to do, and so do we. We see this in John 17, what we call the high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed there and he says, I glorified you, Lord. I've finished the work that you've given me. I've given to your disciples everything that you told me to give them. Remember, Jesus said to them over and over and over, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I only do what he tells me to do. You know, we don't look at that and just say, well, that was Jesus is not for us. No, no, that's for us. That's to inspire us. Those words that Jesus spoke should be the desires of our heart. You see, he endured the cross. He was despising of the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He was the forerunner of our faith, the captain of our faith, so that, you see, we will one day be there with him. Not sitting on the throne, that throne's for him. But we will be at his feet. Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We will be worshiping around the footstool of the throne room of heaven. And I wish I could get into the heart and the mind of every Christian. When you enter a time of worship, whether it's here corporately or anywhere else, we are, we are to be emulating. We are to be living in Revelation 4 and 5. But we're there in that heavenly scene where the, the elders and the angels and, and the people are around the throne of God. And whatever rewards they've been given, whatever crowns we might have, whatever might little emblems or pens of success or merits of achievement we might have in that moment before him at his feet, we throw it all on the glassy sea and we bow and worship to him. And in chapter five, we were told they were lamenting because no one was found worthy. And they said, who is worthy? And they said, Jesus. And he goes and he takes the scroll from the Father's hand. And he begins to open that scroll and to read from it. And there was only one. His name was Jesus. You see, we are going to be there. What we read in Revelation 4 and 5, which happens in eternity, we will one day experience. See, this is our motivation. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. A single focus, a single vision, not allowing ourselves to become distracted by the things of this world. And there's plenty to distract us, isn't there? Plenty. Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and, and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him... And through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. This is our God.
This is our future. This is our hope. Everything here on this planet will burn. Don't put your hope in things that are here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Lord, may we be counted worthy to to be there on that great day in your presence, to be at your throne, to be at your footstool. Lord, help us this morning to have our vision and our focus refreshed, to forget what lies behind, to press forward to what lies ahead, to realize that all those things that we considered as gains, they're, they're counted as loss. They're all swept into a pile and burned. And those things that we counted as loss actually become our gain because now we understand that it's all about you, Jesus. The, the whole world is hurtling toward the consummation of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we look forward to that. Help us to have a single purpose and vision and, and understanding in our own mind. Lord, use these next few days as we, we come toward the end of the year and cross over into a new, to have our heart and our mind and our vision recalibrated and refocused. To, to blow away all the chaff and to reset and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, may we become like him in not just identity, but in deed and word. Lord, we invite you this morning. Show us the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll be here on New Year's Eve to uh, do the uh, Chosen, right? So we look forward to that. And then uh, we'll see you on the other side of the New Year.